Neil Brown says the Mountaineers played hard enough to win against the number seven team in the land. West Virginia certainly did hang with TCU. And the Horn Frogs gave West Virginia plenty of chances. The problem for the Mountaineers, they failed to take advantage and fell 41-31 on homecoming at Milan Pushkar Stadium. Nick Farrell here alongside Ryan Decker to break it all down on the Golden Blue Nation podcast. We're brought to you as always by Print and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, your WVLawfirm.com. Deck, it's now, what, back-to-back -back losses here for West Virginia after falling on the road at Texas Tech and falling at home to TCU. This one, though, unlike the Tech game, was winnable. And much like the Kansas game, the final score doesn't really tell you exactly how close this one was. It ends as a two-possession game. Really, it was more like a one-possession game. But at the same time, you can point to a lot of the issues that West Virginia's had throughout the season as part of the reason why they didn't come out on top against TCU today. Yeah, certainly chances galore, especially in the second half for West Virginia. You think a couple of trips to the red zone there in the second half, which I know we're going to talk about. Yep. Uh, some missed tackling there in opportune times and certainly uh, what Neil Brown said was uh, unfortunately Casey Legg's worst onside kick attempt that he's ever seen Legg have just came at the wrong time unfortunately there with four minutes to go but you're right this was really a one possession game with four minutes to go and unfortunately West Virginia just couldn't keep TCU out of the end zone and uh, ends up taking a second straight loss, as you mentioned. How many opportunities did you just rattle off there? Three, four, five that all end in but. Here's right. what happened, right? And that was the story for this game. So uh, let's recap it and let's get into the action here. First, it is worth pointing out that both West Virginia and TCU were quite shorthanded in this one. The Mountaineers injury list is just getting longer and longer every week. Today, it was running back Tony Mathis missing the game. So did guards James Gumitter and Doug Nestor. Then several guys sidelined lined on defense that are regular starters or reserve players. So Mountaineers were certainly shorthanded as they took on the Big 12's top offense. This one was a tale of two halves, really. The first half was an offensive shootout. WVU got a defensive stop on the opening possession, but then allowed TCU to score four touchdowns in a row, three of them going for 50 yards or more. West Virginia only trailed 28-21 at halftime and got the ball to start the second half. So you really felt like WVU was still in a good position even though it seemed like entering the locker room, West Virginia's defense was not going to stop TCU at any point right. in this game. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, West Virginia's defense came out, forced a punt on TCU's opening drive. Then West Virginia goes back and scores a touchdown to go up 7-0 early on in this game. And you're thinking, okay, crowd's into it. West Virginia's playing well early on, but then the defense really did struggle the rest of that first half and early into the third quarter as well, where, you know, TCU not only was scoring points, but they were scoring points quickly. I mean, it, it was a West Virginia long drive followed by a TCU quick long strike, and they did that back and forth a couple of times. That's why TCU was up by seven entering the uh, second half. And again, West Virginia had chances, especially early in the second half, to erase that deficit, just never could get there. So let's go to the second half here. You flip the script. West Virginia's defense came alive in the final 30 minutes, but the offense kind of went stagnant. And I think there are two or three key moments in the second half that really could have been turning points for West Virginia, but ended up not being so because the Mountaineers just simply didn't capitalize at any juncture. Uh, two red zone trips come to mind deck in the third quarter. Uh, West Virginia has that crazy recovery on a fumble on the special teams play. Sam James stops in front of a guy. Bryce Ford Wheaton blocks him into the guy, the returner for, well, would-be returner for TCU right. who waves for a fair catch. And then there's a fumble away from all of that action. Uh, after looking back at that, just as a quick side note, that probably should not 
have been ruled a fumble and a recovery for West Virginia. That that there are a couple of rules experts on Twitter who pointed that out. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. To me, the moment the flag was thrown, and I realize you play until the whistle, right? Coach speak there. Mm-hmm. Like the moment the flag was thrown there, that play should have probably just been whistled dead. Again, I realize you play till the whistle. That, I don't know. That one just didn't sit right with me. And I know it was upheld after a review right. where they looked at the, the longest the review for four ever. minutes yes. and couldn't come up with anything. Like, I get it. I get it. I don't know. They did what they're taught there. And, and you definitely have to credit West Virginia because the players did what they're taught there and they came away with another big special teams play. Right. But from a rules perspective, man, I just think college football is in such a bad place with yeah. rules it is. and officiating. Like, that is bogus to me. Some of the targeting calls, like, I. I have still no idea. I've covered West Virginia football for five years, and the, and the definition of targeting has changed probably every year. Some parts of it have changed, and, and like I have absolutely no idea what targeting is, and probably never will. And I've watched a ton of football, right? And so I don't know how guys who also watch a ton of football can know what it is. Like so, somebody tell me if I'm wrong there, but that, that is just that is just asinine to me. And I know this isn't targeting <laughs> that we're talking about, right. but I think that underscores like no one knows what the heck is going on in some of these instances, right. and that special teams play probably was one of them. No, you're, you're exactly right. And Neil Brown spoke basically the exact same verbiage that you just said just about pass interference, which I know we're going to get into in the one corner of the end zone there in the second half and then the third quarter. But I mean, there are a lot of instances, especially in college football, where people who watch the game all the time cover the game. You just kind of look up at at the scoreboard or if you're watching on TV and you're just like, what is going on in terms of how this is being officiated? Why a rule? that for the most part seems pretty clear cut and dry, pretty straightforward is being interpreted in a very, not very straightforward manner. And that play, the punt play we're talking about, I mean, at face value, it looked like running into the returner in a couple of different instances. And fortunately for West Virginia, it went WVU's way, but the Mountaineers really didn't capitalize on that like you should have in a play like that. So just really quickly on the special teams play, which ended up sort of mattering, but maybe not really in, in the grand scheme of things because West Virginia doesn't score a touchdown following that. We'll get into that in a sec. I think the key point is that Sam James was within one yard of a guy who called for a fair catch, and that's you're not supposed to do that. Well, so, so I heard on the sideline that that rule no longer exists, okay. which I so thought that was a rule okay. as well, but I don't know if that's 100% accurate. The person who told me that is... You know, pretty credible. Yep. He knows the game very well. But as we just discussed, it doesn't matter how much you know the game, how well you know the game at this point. The, the interpretation of rules is very much up to the person who's interpreting the so, rule. All right. So after that special teams play, West Virginia has the ball inside the 20 yard line and kicks a field goal. Then the ensuing West Virginia possession also goes to the red zone. Mountaineers trailing 28 24 at that point. They go for, they go for a they go to the end zone in the air on a third down incomplete goal line fade go to the end zone in the air on a fourth down right goal line fade uh, in the moment and, and again that, that fourth down incompletion coach brown said after the game he thought it was pass interference even sam james agreed that he thought it was pass interference i was about six feet away from it i thought it was pass interference i apparently know nothing about the rules of college football though um so in the moment we both agreed west virginia should have gone for a touchdown there because at that yep. point in the game the defense really did not appear that it was going to stop max duggan and the tcu offense right. at any point so you have to go in the lead there in hindsight though three points there makes it 28 27 and west virginia would have tied the score later mm-hmm. if everything happened the way that it did exactly. again right so uh 
Do you, do you stick with that deck? Do you stick with the the decision to go for it on fourth down there? I, I think you do. I think maybe just better execution, maybe a slightly yeah. different play call. After you do a goal line fade on third down, I don't know if I go back to that just on the opposite side of the field or to a different receiver there on fourth down. Maybe you try something else. Now, granted, and this kind of goes back to the injuries we were talking about at the start of this, if you have Tony Mathis, a really healthy C.J. Donaldson, even a healthy offensive line, maybe yeah. one of those two plays is a run play, which I believe Neil Brown said, either third or fourth down was supposed the to be third down was, third was down supposed play. to be a run and so right. I, we know the end result an incomplete pass right. on the far exactly. side of the end zone yeah but i mean that fourth down play I, d I don't mind certainly going for it there i think just a different play call different execution would have been good there and yeah. then i know we're going to get into this as well that the onside kick again I, I don't mind the onside kick try just maybe again better execution yeah so we'll let you hear from coach brown here in a moment as he explains some of the thinking behind going for it on fourth down and the onside kick uh the onside kick was Maybe a play that did not loom so large afterward because Malachi Ruffin gets the interception. Uh, so there, West Virginia goes and answers with a Reesmith touchdown. So it's 34-31. Goes for an onside kick. Casey Leg does not really hit the ball well. It, it goes right to a Horn Frog for the recovery. But I think three plays later, Ruffin at West Virginia was going to force a three and out. Ruffin gets an interception inside the 20 for what's essentially a punt, a third down punt for TCU, if you can look at it that way. It's just the second time this season Max Duggan has been intercepted. It seemed like a lifeline for West Virginia. Okay, sudden change and an opportunity to win the game with, at that point, I think four or five minutes on the clock. What does West Virginia do? Goes backwards. Yeah, goes backwards, and, and that was and that was doom right there for WVU. Mountaineers could not take advantage of the opportunity once again. Yeah, this time it's not in the red zone. They are going to have to march 80-plus yards to score and tie or win the game. But you can't go backward there. You just completely put yourself out of any chance of right. staying in the game. Three plays, negative three yards on the drive yep. following the interception. Yeah, I mean, really, there, there was so much excitement in the building, too, because with that rough interception, I mean, truly, that gave West Virginia the biggest lifeline it had pretty yep. much All in the second half. timeouts, still yep. five minutes to go with the poor world, four-plus at, at the point of the interception yeah. there. Yeah, and, and it, that going backwards, truly, it sucked the air out of the building, I yeah. think. Yeah, so th there you go, Deck. In the first half, it was all West Virginia's offense that kept – them in the game because mm -hmm. the Mountaineer defense was not stopping TCU and truly the script flipped in the second half. Right. Somehow the defense comes alive, starts making plays, starts holding the top offense in the Big 12 in check. Meanwhile, JT Daniels in the West Virginia offense, they looked like they did against Texas Tech last week where they could not move the ball and and really just could, could not get anything going offensively on some of those late possessions. Yeah, definitely rhythm and timing was definitely off in the second half. JT Daniels overthrew Sam James at least twice, if not three times, on you know a post pattern or, or a fly route overthrew. I, I think it was uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton as well mm. on a deep route there in the second half. I mean, it's the timing of these things to go in line with the goal line fade situations, where which really neither throw was overly great. Great. The, the second one on fourth down had some pass interference elements to it, but you know, the, just the execution through the air in the second half was just not there for West Virginia today. So after the punt from West Virginia, TCU does two things right. It takes a ton of time off the clock, and then on a fourth and one, it goes for the jugular, a pass to Savion Williams for a touchdown. That ends the game with 20 seconds to go as West Virginia falls 41-31. So again, very similar to the Kansas game when JT Daniels threw a pick six on the final play of overtime. It could have been a one-possession game on the final score. Instead, TCU wins by double figures 41-31. So that means the Horned Frogs improved to 8-0 overall and win for the first time against WVU 
since 2017 and also win in Morgantown for the first time since 2014. So Frogs still perfect, 8-0 overall. Meanwhile, West Virginia drops to 3-5 and overall and 1-4 and in the Big 12. We'll bring you post-game thoughts from Coach Brown in a moment as well as our final thoughts and a look ahead to November for the Mountaineers. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers. Unexpected hurdle? Pritt and Spano. Unseen circumstance? Pritt and Spano. Personal injury, criminal law, flash wills, family law. You need a firm that will be with you through it all. Pritt and Spano. Their passionate team will employ their resources and unique perspectives to deliver the most effective representation. When you find yourself in need, turn to those who will fight for you. Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers. Find them at yourwvlawfirm.com. Golden Blue Nation podcast continues. We're brought to you by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, yourwvlawfirm.com. Let's send you now to Coach Brown's post-game press conference to get his thoughts on the loss. Extremely hurt locker room. You know, I thought our guys uh, really competed. They played their tails off. Um, Played the game the right way. You know, I think some people question that um, late in the game the last week. There's no question in that today. Uh, competed until the finally, final play. We're beat up. We were beat up pretty good coming in. A lot of guys didn't play. Um, and then we lost several more during the course of the game. But it was the next man up. Whoever played in the game competed. And um, I'm proud of how they played. We're based on outcomes. I get that. Outcome wasn't what we wanted. Um but I'm proud with how they play, you know, and, and people can be upset with me. I'm fine, but they can't question how those guys played today. They can be frustrated with me. Hey, it's fine. But they, there, there shouldn't be any ill will with those kids today because they competed and they played. And, and I'm proud of them. I thought defensively starting there, our second half was the best we played since Virginia Tech. Um, we made plays, made a lot of plays. And um, – Offensively, we were productive, but we just, you know, you, you get the ball after Ruffin's pick, and we got to do something about it. And we didn't even give ourselves a chance to go for it on fourth down. I mean, we went backwards. You know, that that's the, probably the most disappointing drive we've had all year. Um, we just didn't make enough plays in the second half offensively, and and that's the side that we've that we've really depended on all year, and we just didn't come through in that game. And, and that's a good football team. Credit credit Sonny, credit uh, that team. They found a way. Um, but we gave them everything they wanted and had chances to win a game, three-point game. We get the ball just, I think it was a little under four minutes and um, with a real chance and, and don't take advantage of it. So that part of it is disappointing, but I am, I am very pleased with, uh, with, how we, with how we played. All right, how we played, not the outcome. So you talked about the offense. One game was a tale of two halves. You ran it real effective the first half, not the second. Can you put a finger? Yeah, so they do a really good job. You know, that's the good thing about how they play defense is they're able to make some adjustments because they don't move their pieces. Their pieces are what it was. Um, We got away from it probably a little bit because our running back room is so beat up. And that's not critical on Graham. Our running back room is beat up. You know, Justin and CJ practiced a little bit this week, but not a whole lot. They come in, CJ gets hurt. Um, he got, he got hurt bad in, in the second half. Um, Justin, who's beat up coming in the game, um, is not playing full speed. Um, and so our run game in the second half was limited because we just didn't have a whole lot of people. And so, um, Probably a couple things we could have done different if you if you get the opportunity, but you don't. Um, but some of that's their answers too, Greg. They they had some answers. They came down and played more of an eight man box against us. You know, for the most part all year we ran the ball better against them in the first half than anybody that they played this year. 
okay? And schematically, we did some things differently than what we've shown on film, so we had some good answers for them. And then they basically in the second half played eight-man box and, and changed the front for really the first time all year. changes you make counters and, and pulling people yeah and they played that three-man front and so what you try to do is you try to you try to get some numbers you know and, and we were trying to get some angles obviously we had the new guards in there so we wanted to do that um and they run covered and they're athletic so we did that you know and and effective you know it's we didn't have we had a couple negative runs in the second half the one the one on second and 10 on the last drive that killed us because we had every intention of going for it on fourth down but when it gets to like fourth and whatever it was 14 15 you know they ain't very good odds the third fourth down deal uh, where you guys got stopped um, trying to go line fade was that did you like your matchups there well the third down should have been a run, you know, and then and pass interference. If somebody can can tell me what that is, let me know. Let me know because if that's not pass interference, I don't know what it is. You know, and and I just I, I don't know. Like if our kid doesn't have a chance to make a play, it's got to be pass interference. Um, the third down was supposed to be a run. Yeah, the third down was supposed to be a run. Um, we were going forward on fourth down right there. That was kind of our mentality going in the game. We knew we had to score touchdowns to win. Um, the last drive of the game hurts, but I think, you know, some some we weren't as successful inside the 10 as we needed to be. Um, and, and that's really what came back to bite us. But I thought that was pass interference. Um, I'll watch it on tape, and I'll still think that was pass interference because it was right in front of my face. Um and I'm just real confused about what it is. Is there any thought to kicking it deep with a little over four minutes left instead of the onside nah. late? Nah, you know that didn't even matter, Mike. You know what I mean? It did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It didn't. It didn't matter at all. But I. But Casey Leg is one of the best onside kick. Like if you all came to a practice, you would. And that's that's that is the that is the least successful I've ever seen one kick from him. And but he's the best I've ever seen. So I would do it again because we had three timeouts. And uh, we felt really good about that. If you remember against Texas, we kind of ran the counter off the one we ran against Texas. And it, it just wasn't a good kick. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't a good kick, but I, but I, would, I would play that the same way again. The idea of scoring touchdowns but led you to go for the fourth down instead of taking the field goal attempt. And yeah, that's, that's the one that, that Keenan was asking about. Yeah. And so the third down is JT checked out. We had a run play we felt really good about. Um, and but going into the game we were going to go four downs down there yeah that was that was the intention um you know it's easy to sit there and say well it's a three-point game yeah but that would have changed how they played also you know what i mean that would have changed kind of how they handled some things late in the game i felt like touchdowns were going to win it and and we were going for a touchdown there um and like i said we'll look at the pass interference that's head coach Neil Brown speaking after West Virginia's 10-point loss to TCU. It drops the Mountaineers to 3-5 and five overall. They still have just one Big 12 win this season. We'll talk bowl eligibility picture in just a moment. But, Deck, uh, a thought here for, for Texas Christian. First time beating the Mountaineers in Morgantown since 2014. And maybe there were some similarities between those two days? It certainly feels like it. So, if you think back, 2014, that TCU game, college game days in town, that would have yep. been one of West Virginia's biggest victories since moving to the Big 12. And, at that point and West Virginia in the fourth quarter was up I believe two scores and goes nine plays for I think nine yards in the entire fourth quarter a lot of missed opportunities on, on that day in the fourth quarter for West Virginia it feels similar to kind of what happened here now West Virginia offensively even though we, we talked about their miscues they were able to move the ball better in the fourth quarter in the second half 
on offense, but still it, not being able to punch it in when on the drive that results in a field goal, not being able to punch it in on the drive that results in a uh, turnover on downs, and then you know there at the end going backwards on that final true possession for the Mountaineers. Definitely some similarities to TCU. Not an upset here, certainly, yeah. but a heartbreaking loss given to Definitely. the Mountaineer fans uh, between 2014 and 2022. Definitely so. West Virginia, just one Big 12 win. So, Deck, let's look ahead at November here. Iowa State on the road for the next contest for West Virginia. That one is Saturday, November 5th at 3.30 Eastern on Big 12 now on ESPN+. Plus. Two home games in a row against Oklahoma and Kansas State. And then two days after Thanksgiving, the Mountaineers conclude the regular season against Oklahoma State. In order to get to bowl eligibility, West Virginia's got to win three of those four. Two of them are against two of the top teams in the Big 12 in Kansas State and Oklahoma State. So that means West Virginia not only needs three wins, it's going to need two and an upset, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you think it's possible? I mean, anything's possible, as we kind of saw for about two and a half quarters today, and anything is possible. But, you know, West Virginia is going to have to go to Ames, a place that is A, hard to play at anyways, but B, West Virginia traditionally has not played overly well in Ames. And then you, you got to knock off either Oklahoma, who you haven't beaten since moving to the Big 12, or a ranked and really, really good Kansas State team, who, as we're talking about this and recording this right now, yeah. is putting a Smoking whooping Oklahoma State, on Oklahoma right. State. And then Oklahoma State, I mean, at that point, you don't know what the end of the regular season yeah, holds right. or is going is to hold. Is but State playing for, or either of those teams playing to be in the Big 12 title game. Exactly, either a Big 12 contests. title game or possibly a more noteworthy bowl game if the right. Big 12 title game is out of reach. Certainly, I mean, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, it, there's going to be a lot to play for at the end of the season for the opposition of WVU. It just comes down to, will WVU have a lot to play for other than the pride? Yeah, I, I don't know that West Virginia is going to be favored against Iowa State. The Cyclones are bad this year. They are. They that are. doesn't mean that West Virginia is going to go in there and win next weekend. Uh, I, I do think that is a winnable game. I also think Oklahoma is a winnable game, right? I, I don't know that you would call you would call it historically an upset, right? But like this is the first time that the Sooners have been a beatable team coming in to Morgantown. Uh, so I, I do think West Virginia has a shot in those two games. The other two, I, I don't know, Deck. I mean, I thought this team was a seven or eight win team at the beginning of the season. And I think when you look at some of the results, you can say at the midpoint of the season, you know, West Virginia is three and three. But is this really like a four and two team that took a bad loss to Pitt uh, or, or a five and one team that really should have beat Kansas, had a couple of bounces gone their way, no muff punt, whatever. Maybe if they catch Kansas later in the year when right. Jalen Daniels is not their quarterback, right. maybe that's a win on the schedule. But you don't operate in ifs, right? You, you operate in definitives in college football. And so I think at this point you have to say, now West Virginia, maybe this team could have been an 8-4 and four team had things gone their way, but it's looking more like a 4-8 and eight team at this point because yeah. of games like this Texas Christian game, right? right. The exactly. Mountaineers are right there, and they've been right there against Pitt, who is not a good football team this year. They've been right there against Kansas, who was good at the beginning of the season, but is not. And they're right there today for an upset, which would have been the first top 10 win against uh, a, a first top 10 win under Coach Brown, mm -hmm. but didn't finish the job. And I think that, that for, for me, that means at this point, I don't know, bowl eligibility does not seem seem like it's going to come into fruition for WVU, as, as, as disappointing as that is to say. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem likely at this point, but again, you, you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, one thing that Coach Brown has harped on a lot this year is the fact that, and kind of you were mentioning this as well, the ball just has not bounced West Virginia's way more often than not right. this year. A couple plays, like you mentioned, at Pitt against Kansas, uh, here against TCU, a couple plays that if they turn out differently, maybe it's a much different feel around this team. At some point, it happened in the Baylor game 
the ball finally bounced West Virginia's way, at some point does that pendulum come back in WVU's favor? You know, do, do you maybe get a Kansas State team here in Morgantown in, in November in the snow, and that slows down a really good running team in Kansas State? Does that kind of muddy up the the game, so to speak, for for West Virginia and, and K State, or does you know does that slow down in Oklahoma? attack offensively that right. it seems to be improving so you, you never know if the ball is, is going to bounce your way or not that's why you play the game obviously but at this point yeah it, bowl eligibility not looking likely for the mountaineers we'll continue to cover wvu the rest of the way through the month of november on goldenbluenation.com and on the free golden blue nation app and of course our basketball coverage starting to ramp up too charity exhibition last night wvu coliseum west virginia beats bowling green uh, first Official game is coming up November 7th, followed by a regular season road trip to Pitt on November 11th. Deck, any thoughts on the basketball team? What you, Any thoughts as you as we look ahead here to the start of the season? It, a lot of unknown with the basketball team, I think. So many new faces coming into the fold this year. It'll be really interesting to see how this team comes together. The one thing I will say, it seems like, and you can only quantify this so much, and really you can't quantify it at all, I guess. They seem to really <laughs> like each other. Yeah, I mean, like these, I know it's start. early in the season. Yeah. The, game, the game's really haven't even started yet but these guys seem to truly like each other there's a trust factor there i think which i don't know if that was there last year or not but that i think can take a team farther than its true ceiling at times i'll, I'll give you three quick takeaways from the bowling green exhibition and we'll wrap this thing up mo Wagi, i believe is how you say his name uh Really liked him. Thought that he could really provide a post presence for WVU. Uh, and I think he's going to be a great rebounder specifically uh, for Which Coach Huggins, right? Yeah. And, and Coach Huggins always needs guys like that. So right. will West Virginia be better in the post this year? Hope so. Wouldn't take much. Uh, second thing, second thing, I really like Josiah Harris, the true freshman from Canton, Ohio. Kid, kid's rangy. Kid can shoot. He just seems really composed, really solid, a, a type of player that Coach Huggins can make a star out of. Don't know how quickly we'll see that. Don't know how he's going to be able to uh, quickly he's going to be able to get up to speed when you think about how tough the schedule is for the Mountaineers, right. specifically when you get into Big 12 play. But a guy that just seems like he is brimming with promise. And then the third thing is Emmett Matthews is home. You can just tell that that, that, that kid is happy to be back. Right. Uh, and so really looking forward to seeing. He, he's a fan favorite. Easy. Easy yes. fan favorite, yes. great story to latch on to. Let's hope for Emmett's sake uh, that, that things just go that go well this season, that he stays healthy, and that he continues to have that positive demeanor throughout the season that, that he has been expressing since he returned to Morgantown. All right, that's a wrap on this edition of the Golden Blue Nation podcast. We'll continue to drop new episodes after every WVU football game, so make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Music. Subscribe if you haven't done so already, or you can listen to all future episodes at goldenbluenation.com and the free Golden Blue Nation app. For Ryan Decker, I'm Nick Farrell signing off. The Golden Blue Nation podcast is brought to you as always by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, your WVLawFirm.com.